Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 138, iPhone Pessimism Gone Too Far. Hi, Neil. With the end of the year quickly approaching, in today's episode, we're going to take a look at one of the major themes from Apple's 2018. When we look back at the past 12 months, there's an interesting observation regarding Apple. On one hand, the company had a remarkably strong year when it came to pushing the Apple ecosystem forward. Apple updated every major product category. If we're weighing which updates were most significant, I think the Apple Watch and iPad Pro probably would be at the top of the list. We had Apple push some of its software forward. iOS 12 experienced a successful launch. Adoption has been pretty good. And I think if you ask people who are on older iPhone models, they're going to talk pretty highly of iOS 12. However, Apple had an awful year when it came to perception and media coverage. The first half of the year was all about iPhone X demand coming in weaker than expected. The past two months have been focused almost entirely on weak demand for iPhone XR, XS, and XS Max. We are in the midst of an iPhone hysteria phase, and it's reached an inflection point. In today's podcast episode, we are going to take a closer look at that inflection point. Attention is being given to data points that are not good indicators of the underlying strength of the iPhone business. We see little to no attention being given to the items that are genuine risk and concerns facing iPhone. We are going to dissect iPhone pessimism to take a look at what is really going on at a fundamental level. And we're also going to see how all of this pessimism is starting to spill over into how the rest of Apple's business is perceived. One way to begin this discussion is to actually focus on something that everyone agrees with. If there was one widely held opinion about the iPhone, it would be that the product still matters to Apple. When you take a look at Apple's financials, the iPhone is directly responsible for 60% of Apple's revenue, and 65% of Apple's gross profit. Apple provides that revenue figure. That gross profit figure is my estimate. While Apple doesn't provide a gross margin percentage just for iPhone, going forward, we're going to get a pretty good clue as to what it is, given how Apple's going to change the way it discloses gross profit. We're going to get gross profit by services and gross profit by hardware. Now, that hardware segment is going to contain a lot of products, but we know that the iPhone is responsible for a pretty good chunk of Apple's hardware revenue. So I think we're going to get a pretty good number, a pretty good estimate as to how gross profit looks for the iPhone. My estimate right now is it's about 40%, and I don't really think it's going to be too different from that, but we'll find out soon enough. The thing is, these percentages iPhone, 60% of Apple's revenue, 65% of Apple's gross profit. Those percentages ignore the role the iPhone plays in driving services and wearables revenue. According to my estimates, approximately 80% of Apple's services business is in some way tied to the iPhone. We have revenue drivers such as the App Store, iCloud, 
licensing, Apple Care, those are closely tied to either iPhone sales or the broader iPhone install base. With wearables, we have Apple Watch still requiring an iPhone to set up. So when you take into account all of those preceding items, the iPhone is responsible for more like 75% of Apple's revenue and 85% of gross profit. So it's pretty clear the iPhone still matters to Apple. The difference in opinion when it comes to iPhone is found with how best to analyze the business. There is disagreement when it comes to Apple's iPhone pricing strategy and where the iPhone fits within Apple's broader product strategy. There was a significant amount of iPhone pessimism in 2018. Pundits, analysts, reporters, they concentrated on a specific narrative. Instead of focusing on the usual risk factors that had been given for iPhones, such as competition from Android, lower profit margins, all of the attention was given to the lack of unit sales growth and higher pricing. Apple's decision to no longer disclose iPhone, iPad, and Mac unit sales only added fuel to the fire. And I do think you saw iPhone pessimism shoot higher following Apple's fourth quarter 2018 earnings report and the announcement that it will no longer provide iPhone unit sales. Over at AboveAvalon.com, I included a few quotes that I pulled from articles published since Apple reported fourth quarter earnings last month. I took one from the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, Business Insider. And given the way it worked, you could probably look at most publications and find quotes that really do sum up what's going on here. I'll just take two quotes. I'll take the Wall Street Journal and the Bloomberg quotes. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. Apple's fourth quarter 2018 earnings, quote, offered affirmation for two main pillars of Apple's current strategy, promoting its software and services business and raising prices on its flagship iPhones to compensate for slower growth in unit sales, end quote. So that was from the Wall Street Journal. And this is from Bloomberg. The iPhone maker is transitioning from a business driven by the number of devices it ships into one that leans on pricier products and more sales of software and services to drive revenue. Now, if you read a lot of reports and articles about Apple, those two examples really ring true. It seems like every article contains boilerplate language that is essentially a copy of those two quotes. On the surface, those two quotes may sound rational. Raising iPhone prices to offset slowing unit sales may pass the smell test for casual observers. Arguing that Apple is promoting services to offset slowing hardware sales probably won't raise many eyebrows. That's why I think that kind of opinion is found everywhere. However, each quote shows a fundamental misunderstanding of Apple's business model and the rationale behind management's decision to push higher iPhone prices. The common thread found in these quotes is that slowing iPhone sales have led Apple management to desperately seek out revenue growth elsewhere. As a result, Apple is said to be making all of these questionable product and strategy decisions. 
Higher iPhone prices are positioned as nothing more than an attempt to squeeze more money from existing iPhone users. There are even some people going so far as to draw a parallel between Apple's current iPhone pricing strategy and the company's disastrous Mac strategy from the 1990s. That strategy played a role in nearly bankrupting the company. As a general rule, whenever someone compares Apple's actions today to the mid-1990s, it's meant as an insult. (laughs) That's the general rule you can assume. Meanwhile, look at Apple services. They're positioned as nothing more than a lever Apple is pulling to squeeze extra money from iPhone users. That's the narrative that's out there. There is no attention or focus placed on how Apple is using services to add value to its hardware and to become a stronger content distributor. No one seems to make those points. The sheer level of pessimism facing iPhone has hit an inflection point. Things have simply become too negative. The infatuation with quarterly iPhone unit sales is leading many observers to reach incorrect assumptions about iPhone business fundamentals. Quarterly unit sales data have been telling us less about the iPhone business for years. That topic was the highlight of episode 136, the unit sales crutch iPhone unit sales have gone nowhere for years. In 2015, Apple sold 231 million iPhones. The next year, 212 million. The following year, 217 million. Last year, in 2018, 218 million. On the surface, things may not look too great. However, dive deeper. iPhone business fundamentals look completely different. Despite a lack of iPhone unit sales growth since 2015, again, this is not a new development here. This has been going on for years. Since 2015, Apple has added nearly 300 million people to the iPhone install base. In 2018 alone, that number was 80 million. Strong growth in the iPhone install base has been completely hidden by flat unit sales trends. Given the high loyalty and satisfaction rates within the iPhone store base, these users will very likely upgrade to a new iPhone at some point in the future. There is then the possibility of these users being more likely to pay for various Apple services and even purchase additional Apple products, such as Apple Watch, wireless AirPods, there's Apple TV, HomePod. Despite declining iPhone unit sales over the past four years, Apple has generated approximately $250 billion of gross profit from the iPhone. A portion of this profit is funding Apple's R&D initiatives. Some of those initiatives are for products designed to eventually take value away from the iPhone. Apple is also taking some of this profit and putting into M&A. Capital expenditures. We have new retail stores, remodeled Apple retail stores, data centers. Apple recently announced a pretty major U.S. expansion in terms of new facilities and a new campus in Texas. Even after all of that, Apple still has excess cash, so that cash is being used to fund Apple's capital return program. So despite reporting flat unit sales for years, the iPhone has been funding all of those initiatives. iPhone pricing was one of the more controversial topics over the past year. 
Consensus continues to view Apple's march to higher pricing as a mistake. Higher pricing is positioned as being directly responsible for unit sales weakness. So you see a lot of people saying, well, if Apple wants to grow unit sales, they should just cut iPhone pricing. I disagree. I don't think that's what's really going on here. Very few people are taking into account the impact of the iPhone gray market. That was a topic we covered in detail back in episode 135, the gray market factor. The gray market is handling a growing amount of iPhone demand at the low end. That's giving Apple the freedom to become more aggressive at the high end. You also have iPhone trading values remaining robust. That's reducing the actual cost of iPhone ownership. While there are a lot of people who seem nervous about iPhone pricing, I think a very good argument can be made that the iPhone, even priced at $1,000, is underpriced when considering the role it plays in nearly a billion lives. In terms of trying to gauge demand for higher-priced iPhones, I went back over Apple's earning releases and conference costs for the past year. And I went over my model and took a look at what percent of iPhone sales occurred at either $999 or above. So really, we're looking at iPhone 10, iPhone 10s, and iPhone 10s Max. According to my estimate, Apple sold approximately 75 million iPhones priced at $999 or higher over the past year. That's remarkable. The idea of Apple selling 75 million computers starting at $1,000 each in just 12 months would have been unimaginable as recently as a year ago. At this point in the discussion, I think there is value in taking a look at what are the risks and concerns facing the iPhone business? Because there are a few, and some of these are pretty serious concerns. The problem with iPhone hysteria is due to infatuation with unit sales and higher pricing. These genuine concerns and risks facing the iPhone are ignored. Attention is being placed on the wrong items. So there are three concerns from with the iPhone business. The first one, users switching from iPhone to Android. The second, users leaving the Apple ecosystem altogether. And the third, simpler non-Apple devices handling use cases formally given to iPhone. None of those concerns can be monitored by simply looking at iPhone unit sales or average selling price trends. Despite reporting flat to negative iPhone unit sales, Apple's still bringing new users into the install base. That gives us confidence that the first concern about users switching from iPhone to Android is being kept in check. However, we can see how strong loyalty and high satisfaction end up playing much larger roles in determining the health of the iPhone business than the quarterly fluctuation in iPhone unit sales. Meanwhile, we have strong sales momentum found with Apple wearables and services. We have steady iPad and Mac sales. All of that tells us that the Apple ecosystem continues to gain strength. This will have an impact when it comes to users deciding which smartphones to buy when it's time to upgrade. Declining iPhone unit sales trends simply aren't useful for determining if users are moving away from the Apple ecosystem.
However, the biggest risk, the biggest concern facing iPhone is competition from simpler, more personal devices. I think that competition is inevitable. It's going to happen. We just don't know when. These devices, they will eventually be positioned as smartphone alternatives, and they will handle some of the tasks formerly given to the iPhone. We are seeing some early signs of that with things like the cellular Apple Watch. In the coming years, with smart glasses, I think it's going to become a little bit more clear as to where this is headed. While there are early signs of iPhone users being content with their current iPhone, we see this from the slowing upgrade rate. Apple appears to have expected such a development given the company's focus on wearables. That cellular Apple Watch has been in development for years. We have Apple working on those pair of smart glasses for years. These are not products that Apple is only now starting to get nervous about and starting to push or starting to put additional resources behind. They've been at wearables for a number of years. A cellular Apple Watch isn't just handling a growing number of use cases formally given to iPhone, it's also handling entirely new use cases. The takeaway from that development is that products like Apple Watch need to be part of the iPhone discussion. In reality, few people are even talking about Apple's wearables platform. It just doesn't make any sense to me. When looking ahead, it is certainly possible, maybe even likely at this point, that Apple will report a decline in iPhone unit sales in 2019. Demand for flagship iPhones may indeed be coming in weaker than Apple management expected. By the way, forecasting iPhone demand is incredibly difficult, even if you have all of the data that Apple has. However, those developments do not mean that the iPhone business is imploding or in dire straits. There are changes taking place in the iPhone business. It's maturing. However, the largest change is something unable to be seen by just looking at unit sales or average selling price. In recent years, the iPhone's role within the Apple universe has been evolving. In the beginning, the iPhone was the vessel for introducing Apple to nearly a billion users. The iPod was Apple's first genuine mass market item. But the iPhone redefined the definition of mass market for Apple. We saw years of mobile carrier expansion where Apple introduced the iPhone to new carriers around the world. That served as a natural tailwind for iPhone unit sales growth. That phase ended back in 2015, and we see what's happened to unit sales since. The iPhone business is not going back to that strong unit sales growth era. While the iPhone remains the most effective tool for bringing new users into the Apple ecosystem, something that I think will continue even if unit sales decline in any given year, the iPhone is now becoming a stepping stone 
and getting Apple's wearables platform off the ground. The Apple Watch still requires an iPhone to set up. It won't be surprising if Apple's upcoming smart glasses require an iPhone to set up. After hearing those two statements, some people may think that the iPhone is going to be the hub and wearable devices are going to be the spokes of an Apple wheel. I don't think so. Instead, I think what's taking place here is that the iPhone is being used to promote more personal devices that will one day surpass the iPhone in terms of utility and value. There will come a time when the iPhone business is in big trouble. One day, the value we place on wearable devices, such as AR glasses and smartwatches, will surpass the value we give the smartphones. However, that day has not arrived quite yet. That's going to do it for today's episode. With 2019 right around the corner, I went back and looked at the Above Avalon podcast in 2018. Today's episode marked the 23rd episode of the year, and there was approximately 11 hours of discussion. If you're interested in catching up in some of those episodes, I did want to point out that there is an archive available over at AboveAvalon.com that includes every podcast episode. So really, you could go back to episode one, but you can go back to all these previous episodes of 2018, take a listen. I'm pretty happy with all the different topics that we got to cover this year. I'm sure 2019 is going to be just as busy, if not busier. Another announcement is that I just published the second Above Avalon report. These are in-depth examinations into Apple. Each report is about four to 5,000 words and focused on one topic. Reports include a mix of data, analysis, and theory. Each report is designed to have a long shelf life and to be used as a reference in the future. So that means that these reports are living documents. They will receive periodic updates going forward. The title of the report that I just published is Apple and Dividends, a deep dive into Apple's cash dividend strategy. Access to Above Avalon quarterly reports is exclusive to Above Avalon members. So if you are already an Above Avalon member, this report has been sent to your inbox, so you could check it out there. And if you are not a member and you want to read this report and receive all the other benefits and privileges associated with membership, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. While members do get access to quarterly reports, the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership is access to my daily updates about Apple. Each update is about 2,000 words and covers three topics. The daily updates go over everything that I think matters in the world of Apple. So if it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. We go over Apple business and strategy analysis, Apple earnings, financial estimates, my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, keynotes, and events. One other member privilege and benefit that I want to point out is that members do have access to my Apple earnings model. This is a working model, so you can go in, change assumptions, see how it impacts Apple's earnings per share, revenue. You can go in, change buyback assumptions. 
Whenever I change my Apple estimates, I send out an updated version of the earnings model. And so what this has been doing is adding new context. It adds a new dimension to the discussion found in the daily updates. There is a member form and archive available. So if you want to read daily updates previously sent to members, if you want to get the earnings model, get the quarterly reports, all of that is available. If you enjoy the discussion analysis found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would enjoy becoming an Above Avalon member. So just head on over to AboveAvalon.com, go to the membership page if you are interested in becoming a member. There are two options. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are currently an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. If you are thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. 2018 was a great year for Above Avalon. I'm looking forward to 2019. I hope everyone has a great Christmas, a great holiday season, a happy new year. I will talk to you all in 2019. Bye.